everybody. This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode, we've got more from David Rokup of TCM International, talking to us about how we must carefully examine the elements Jesus used to train and prepare His own disciples for being effective disciple makers themselves. In this episode, you will discover what Jesus did to grow and prepare His disciples for multiplication and how you can turn around and do the exact same thing for those you're currently discipling. Let's listen in as David Rokup encourages us today. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. Glad you're here, and I hope our time together is beneficial for you today. Uh, My name is David Rokup. I'm a full-time professor with TCMI. Uh, International Institute. Uh, our campus is in Vienna, Austria, and uh, we ha- our head headquarters in the U.S. is here in Indianapolis. By the way, when I was interviewed, uh, they said, "Now, if you take this, if you take this teaching job, it means that you have to spend probably 11 weeks in in uh, Vienna, Austria, every summer." Is that how does that work out for you? <laughs> and I, I I have my wife with me, and we we both love to travel. So when they asked me that question, I tried not to smile. I'd <laughs> say. I said, well, if nobody else will do it, we'll do it. You know, it's, it's fine. Uh, not, this is my ninth year with TCM. Uh, one of the best chapters of my whole career. It's just been an incredible time. I don't want to take a lot of time, but we have uh, 2,600 students from 55 different countries. And the only thing we do is prepare for leadership ministry, men and women. It's an amazing, amazing run. Uh, we have incredible professors. I know I'm, I'm probably jaded a little bit, but our guys are just top-notch, our men and women who teach. Uh, the last time I was over, I had a class of about 26 students, and I said to them, what, uh, what, what country are you from? And um, I had students from 11 different countries in one class, so I had three interpreters. You always have a Russian interpreter with you, and then there are two back in soundproof booths, and they're speaking into microphones, and I see my students, like four or five, ten of them have earphones on. And they're catching the other translations from the other translators, you know. But it works very well and just a great opportunity. I wish I had two hours to tell you stories about our students and who they are and what they do. It's just amazing. Uh, I, I love all of them. The kids from the Stans countries, uh, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, those countries. It's illegal to preach the gospel or to do a church in those countries. And I mean, they literally, on a daily basis, faith pris- uh, face imprisonment. Uh, some of them even death possibility and just remember I was having lunch with a couple of them a couple of years ago and I said you know brothers I just have to to say to you the fact that you literally are risking your lives in some ways every day and how do you handle that with your wives and your children and they said well we just have all decided for the sake of the kingdom of God and the gospel if we die we die flat out there you go you know and uh I just thought, you know, you know, I, I need to sit out there and you need to be up here, you know, uh, in terms of your life and what you, what you give. Uh, very creative things they do, too, to escape the, uh, the, the government officials and stay out of prison. And then we have people from many, many other countries. The largest country we're drawing from student-wise right now is Africa. We have more students from Africa than any other country. Uh, Russia is second and Ukraine is third. So interesting. When the war broke out, it was quite a, quite a situation with all of our Russian students and all of our Ukrainian students. In our campus overseas, our librarian grew up in Ukraine and our assistant academic dean grew up in Russia. 
And so that was quite a, you know, quite a, just all kinds of layers of that, you know, for sure. But so keep us in your prayers. Appreciate it. We're looking forward to a great year this year. Our school year's already started. Starts the middle of March and we're over the middle of November with 15 main sessions. And then a number of us fly, we call it going in country. Uh, I was in uh, Czech Republic uh, several uh, week, uh, weeks ago. Uh, I flew in there and they had 24 students for me ready and we just had the class there in country as opposed to taking the students out to, uh, to another place. So, so do keep us in your prayers. We appreciate it. So I was walking in today, a guy just happened to be beside me and I said to him, where are you from? And he said, I'm from uh, I think northern Indiana, he said, and we kind of talked a little while. And I said, I was from the Cincinnati area, I live in northern Kentucky, Florence, Kentucky. And he said, are you a Reds fan? And I said, I actually am. Yeah. I said, as a matter of fact, I'm such a fan that I wrote the Reds into my will, which I did. I wrote in there, I want six of the Reds to be my paw bears. <laughs> you know? I just want them to let me down one more time. Bad. <laughs> All right. So let's... <laughs> Move on to more serious things now, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you all, why don't we do the most important thing we're going to do in our time together? Okay, let's just seek the Lord together and ask for His blessing. Okay. Holy Father, how we thank you for all of the men and women who have worked so hard to put these meetings together. Father, we just want to pray more than anything else today that your Holy Spirit and His anointing would be in every, every session, every workshop, every main session, every conversation talking over meals, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just be anointing us, would be leading us and blessing us as we're here to figure out, Father, how we can effectively build your kingdom. And so would you please be the teacher here today? And would you please give each one of us exactly what we need from this session? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of our session today, you all, is simply discovering the uh, seven major steps that Jesus used in the training of the twelve. I'd like for you just to think along with me for a moment. Uh, the, the question is out there, was Jesus' method of training the Twelve divinely inspired? And I think that it was divinely executed, of course, through Jesus for sure. But we're, we'll see in just a moment, the idea of what Jesus did actually was around for hundreds of years before he actually came and began using, using his teaching methods. You know, we know from the, the history record that, uh, uh, that Egypt uh, uh, trained their leaders in this way. The Greeks had a massive discipling uh, approach to all of their education, and the Romans saw how good it was, so they picked up on that and, uh, and just basically used the very same thing. I'm not sure I would say that the method he used is inspired, and that goes uh, contrary to a number of my brothers here, <laughs> for sure. But uh, I want to make this point. Here is Jesus Christ comes to earth. He has three and a half years to train the men who are going to take the gospel to the world. And the question is, <clears throat> Jesus being completely omniscient, meaning he knows everything will ever be known, knew every educational philosophy that would ever be espoused in the history of the world. Just think about it, from Piaget on all the way down, all through all of the great educational experts. And the question that we should think about today is simply this. If Jesus came and he had three and a half years to train these 12 men to prepare them, what did he do? What did he do with them? Now, there are great books written to really analyze very carefully exactly Jesus' methods. Uh, one of the best, of course, is, uh, is Robert Coleman's book, Master Plan of Evangelism. If you haven't read that, please really get that as soon as you can and read it. The book that predates uh, him 
by about 60 years, so about the turn of the century, a guy named A.B. Bruce wrote a book called The Training of the Twelve. And, and th this, this is the holy grail of Jesus' method of training the twelve. When you read it, it was written in, in a style of, of 140 years ago. You know, so it's kind of uh, very, it's very verbose and all. But when you have a book that's full of principles, it actually is timeless. It never goes out of date. And that's why A.B. Bruce, uh, they, they still keep selling his book over and over again. And there's some other ones that are very good. There's a brother here um, who is a, a teacher as well. Uh, Greg Ogden has written a book called a Transformational Discipleship. And that is an amazing book. Really, it's, it's incredible. I really encourage you to get his book and read that as well. And just, uh, just continue to go deeper in understanding how Jesus trained the Twelve. So, understanding that Jesus knew every educational philosophy, what did he do in terms of putting his group together? And I'd like to kind of coordinate this with session number four today. Um, in the church that I attend in, in Burlington, Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati, uh, I was invited by the elders to come and do part of their retreat a number of years ago. And at the end of the retreat, I saved a part about the, a discipling ministry. And the point that I wanted to make with them was, what if we actually added a discipling ministry to all the wonderful ministries we have? And we were doing men in groups and women in groups. And brothers, make sure that if you're going to do this, do this with women also. It's very, very critical that our ladies are involved in this. And I kind of laid it out and just talked about the benefits of what would happen and uh, shared with them kind of a vision. I said, you know, right now we have very few problems. Financially, we're really strong. We run about 2,200 on a good weekend, three different locations. I said, if we're good now, let me just ask this question. What if we began raising the men and women up in this church in terms of their spiritual growth, their love for Jesus, their commitment to the kingdom, and, and seeing them really... Uh, use their gifts uh, for the uh, for the, for the kingdom. All of those things happening. You know, where where would we be five years from now if we had an organized plan that really was doing? No, where would we be ten years from now? You know, I, I mean, I, we would have to do one of two things. We'd have to start multi-siting all over northern Kentucky, or we'd have to build uh, build a building that held five thousand. You know, because I guarantee that, that if you'll take the methods of Jesus and just be consistent. Go slow, go deep, you know, be very careful, take it a little bit at a time. Why, I'm just telling you, it will totally transform the face of your church. I promise you that it will. And I, w I just wish we had three hours instead of one hour, you know, because I'd love to tell you what we're seeing um, in terms of the lives of our people. Uh, I believe that the number one thing we're supposed to be doing with people in the church right now as the leaders of the church is to facilitate personal spiritual transformation in their lives. That's the main thing. If I were to say to you today, well, what's the main goal of, a, of, a, of our work? Someone would say, well, it's probably getting people baptized. And I'm all for baptism. You know, I was baptized. I preach it. I teach it. Uh, but, but that's not our main goal. You know, that, that's uh, the runway onto the main goal. Someone says, well, we need to get people in church, you know, going to church. And that, that's important as well, but that, that's not the main goal. The main goal is this. Paul, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, gives his personal ministry objective. If we, were, if we had Paul here today and we said, Paul, what, what is the main thing you were trying to accomplish in your 35, 40 years of ministry? Paul would quote Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We are admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. And he says, for this purpose, for this purpose, I labor 
striving according to his power, not mine, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And so the big question, and, and brothers and sisters, I was in the local church for 22 years, uh, preaching 11 of those years, so I know what it's like to be in the trenches with many of you. Uh, let me, and I know this feels like I'm laying a heavy burden on you, you know, because it's a whole lot easier to maybe fill your building and keep the offering strong. It's a whole lot easier to do that versus, you know, what I'm, what I'm about to say. But, but my, num- my number one goal, I think, biblically, is this question. Are the people in my church really growing into the image of Jesus Christ? Are, are they really being spiritually transformed? I, I, I love our church. I truly do. My wife and I sit on, if you're, if you're looking at the pulpit, we sit over on the left-hand side about two-thirds of the way back. That's our seats, you know, back there, you know how that goes. And at the end of our worship service, right outside, a couple of sets of glass doors is a huge parking lot. And when the last amen is said, I kid you not, it's like people are shot out of a cannon, you know, <laughs> getting, out, getting out to their cars and getting to the buffet, bu- the buffet so they beat the Baptist to the buffet, you know, that kind of a thing, you know, getting out there. And, um, and we, we just have a huge number of people. Uh, we've, done, we've done some research and talked to the staff. Two-thirds of our people fall into this category. Two-thirds. Come to church for one hour a week, put a check in the plate, and, and just try to, you know, try to be morally good for the most part, most of the time. Don't embarrass us on the outside out there, that kind of a thing. And, and what we've communicated to them is, this is okay. This is okay for you to do this. Just come for an hour a week and be good. And, you know, the amazing thing about many of, many of those people is they are very good givers. I mean, financially, they will support the church for sure. And if you said to many of those people, you know, where, where's your church home? They would say, oh, first church, for sure. That, that's where we attend. Uh, my concern is that as staff and elders, we're also okay with that. You know, uh, I mean, just working with elderships literally all over the country through our E2 Elders Ministry, I will tell you that if attendance is good and if our offerings are good and covering the bases, and there's activity in the building. If the lights are on at night and stuff is going on, you know, we're doing well. We're doing good, you know. And while all of those are good indicators, actually, the heart of the matter is this. The people that I'm shepherding, the people in my small group, you know, the people in my church, are they really becoming transformed into the image of Christ so that someday, somewhere, someone would mistake them for Jesus? That's the ultimate goal. Someone w- would come to you and say, you know, I know Jesus is not here. But a- after being around you, the amount of time I have been, here- here's what I know. If Jesus were here on earth, you remind me so much of what he must have been like. You know? And uh, you all, that- that- that's our ultimate goal. So you all, if we can just take some time and just kind of reflect on this. I, I know, we're, I know we're, we're running through our ministries and we're all, we're all real overscheduled. We have a lot going on. The key is this, though. Uh, we ne- need to really think this through. What does the Lord want from our church? What, does he, what product does He want? And I really believe it is that our men and women, boys and girls, our teenagers, our singles, our college kids, our senior saints, all go through the process. Uh, the good news is that... We also know what produces spiritual formation in people's lives. If you can get the recording from last night that I did on spiritual formation, the great news is that we know what will help people grow up in their faith. And, uh, and that's the ultimate goal, that the people in my church really go through spiritual transformation. You know? And, and we're, we're not satisfied as an eldership 
or a staff until we really see that happening. And uh, I will tell you that it can happen in the lives and the lives of your people for sure. Now, on our outline, there's way more material than we can do in an hour here. And that's on purpose. And what we want to do is hit the high spots, kind of taking a flat rock, throwing it across a, a lake. We're going to hit the main spots here. Uh, there's a lot we won't cover, but I put this in here so you can take it home and study it on your own and really go through this material and look up all the scriptures, if you would, and uh, just get a good feel for this. I think it's always important, though, to kind of get definitions down and agree on a definition. Uh, in my, my doctoral paper was on discipling and mentoring, and I found 26 definitions of discipling. And the one that's on your paper is the best, best definition I found to do what's, what Jesus did scripturally, this is the best one. Let me, let's take a look at it for just a moment on page one here. Discipling others is the process by, with, with a, by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself or herself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been one to Christ. The purpose being two goals. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity, number one, help them grow up spiritually, and secondly, to equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. So we want them to grow in their faith, and we want them to be able to make disciples as well. In my last session today, session four, if you haven't chosen one yet, the church that I'm attending, we actually started four years ago a formal, identifiable discipling ministry with trained leaders. And this is what the elders ask us to do. So we had one group, and then we had two groups the second year. Third year, we also just had, had two groups. The next year, this year, we have eight groups. We went from having 11 guys in groups last year to 42 guys this year. And this coming fall, because of the enthusiasm of our leaders, well, we're hoping really to have maybe as many as 80 guys in 20, 22 groups, something like that. It's just amazing. The exponential nature of this thing is just amazing. But you have to start it, and you have to stay with it, and, uh, and just, just work it as carefully as you can, just doing exactly what Jesus did with the 12. And now, understand, if you'd circle the word process, that's very important. Please know that, th th that discipling other people is a process. It takes time, you know. Uh, you, everybody knows what a crock pot is. Is that correct? Everybody have a crock pot at home? Have a crock pot. Everybody have a microwave oven, you know? Yeah, th this is not a microwave oven experience. This is a crock pot experience. <laughs> You know, one of, the, one of the factors is changing human nature, you know. I mean, Jesus ran into all kinds of barriers on this, you know. Changing human nature does not happen overnight. That's why I would say if you're a pastor here today, and this would apply to the elders also, but if you're a pastor, uh, you can't do this in any less than five years. So if you're at your church now and you, you're, you want to go ahead and start this, I need to have you say to me, say to the Lord, really, uh, I'm willing to not move for five years and stay here and make this happen in the life of my church. Because it'll take at least that year to really get that kind of a foundation under, underway. So it's, it's a process for sure, which a Christian with a life worth emulating. Let me just tell you, you don't have to be sinless to do this. It's the good news, really, you know. We all, we all have feet of clay. Can I just make this observation? I don't believe that there, can any, that there can be any really major sins going on in my life to do this. You know, If I've got an attitude problem, if, I, if pornography is an issue for me, if I'm doing drugs, any of those things, uh, if I'm mistreating my wife, um, I, 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 should, I should be in a group, not leading a group, for sure. You know? But, but it's, it's the idea that it is a process. Um, 
Somebody says, well, how, how young can you be a D group leader? There are youth ministries going on in several of our churches where a high school boy, girl, um, go through their freshman, sophomore, junior year under the tutelage of a, of a youth leader. And their senior year, they take groups of, of uh, junior high students, of middle school students, and they, they work with them under the guidance of the, the man or woman who, who, who worked with them. Can you imagine being a freshman in high school or being in the eighth grade and the starting quarterback of the varsity football team at the high school invites you to be in a D group? You know, I mean, it's, it's very powerful. So it can go all the way down even to middle school. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter's fifth grade year of elementary school student in my class listened to some of this material. And uh, she was a member of our church and she took four fifth graders, picked them up every day after school. They went to one of their homes, had Bible study, prayer, and some snacks. And uh, my daughter is 54, and she still remembers that woman fondly. They have stayed in touch all of these years. That's the impact a woman had on my daughter in the fifth grade. So you see, it's just so powerful because it's transference of life to life. Uh, that's the great power in all of this. So this person commits himself or herself. You might want to circle the word commits there. Here's the bottom line, you all. I kid you not. You know, once you decide to drive a stake and you make a commitment to take on a group, uh, you, 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 you hang in there and you work it hard and you don't, you don't give up. You don't give up, you know. For me, I meet, meet my group. I meet seven guys every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock at our church. You know, we have donuts and coffee together and then we go through our, our normal routine. And for me, it's always the middle of, of February. You know, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's dark and it's drizzling at 32 degrees, you know, and there's a little bit of ice out there and it's freezing and six o'clock in the morning. And I'm, I'm dragging my packet with a coffee maker and the creamer, you know, into the car again. And, um, you know, on, on those tough days, you know, when you're tired and you're bushed, you know, it's OK. Just be tired and be bushed. It's, it's all right. Just get out there and go do it. You know, do it the very best you possibly can. Here's the point. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep moving forward, even, even in those tough times. So it takes a real commitment for an extended period of time. How long do groups meet? Just really, really quick. Um, because of my commitment to TCM, I have to fly at the end of every, every May. So I meet with my guys about nine and a half to ten months. We meet every week. We take Thanksgiving off and two weeks at Christmas just to do the holidays. And uh, we just continually go through. At the end of that ten months... Um, uh, half of my group is ready to reproduce and take groups of their own. You know, uh, the other half, maybe they're honestly not quite there. So I just carry them over for another year and we meet for two years in terms of them reproducing themselves, getting a little ahead of myself here. But last year, I had seven incredibly top flight, talented men, sharp guys, business guys, policemen right on down the line. And about the first of April, I started saying to them, now, you know, we talked about it from the day you were recruited. Your, your goal now is to, is to reproduce yourself and lead a group yourselves. And they said, okay, here's the deal. We can't do that. And I said, you guys, this is not rocket science. We, we've just been through you know, nine months of this. You, you, you know how this goes. And they said, hey, what if somebody asks us a question we don't know? We don't know the answer to it. And I said, it's, it's very, very simple. Just say these words. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. It's okay to do that. You don't have to be the... The old you know, shell answer man with every answer. You know, I'm dating myself there. I know for sure. You know, uh, and, and, and so so I, you know I, I left the meeting a little frustrated. So I just went to the Lord and I said, Lord, 
you know, I, I've done everything we're, we're supposed to do. And, you know, this is just so new to our church and new to these men. I don't know how you hear the Lord speak to you. You know, I've never audibly heard the voice of God. I have Pentecostal friends who have, and it's, I give them all the freedom in the world to have that experience. But I will tell you that the Lord speaks into my heart on a, on a regular basis. And in prayer that coming week, the Lord said, Dave, you're, you're missing it. Why are you missing this? You know, go, go back to the Gospels. When, when I sent men out, I sent them out two by two. You know, so have these guys co-lead groups this coming fall. So I went back the next week and I said, I said, you guys, I said, you guys, here's the deal. What if you co-led groups? If you guys chose up teams of two, find four other men and meet for 10 months doing exactly what we've just done. And all seven of them said, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have eight groups meeting right now, you know, in the life of our church from the previous guys we've worked with, got them all together, and the Lord is just really blessing amazingly. So for an extended period of time, how long? I was with a brother a couple of years ago, and he said, I started a D group in my church. I said, fantastic, man. I said, how long are you going to meet for? And he said, well, we're studying a book with 13 chapters. And at the end of that book, that's kind of the end of our, you know, end of our time together. And I definitely applauded his efforts and the fact that he was out there trying to figure this out. You know, but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when you're working with a group to bring transformation of life to them and have them reproduce themselves in another generation, after six months, you're just now beginning to really get to know each other. And guys are feeling trust and uh, loving each other. So I'd say a minimum, minimum of one year. And the good news is that there are people that probably in your church right now who are, who are spiritually really healthy, who have a leadership gift with one year, with your support, they, they, they could take a group and start, you know. And if you'll come this afternoon, I'll give you the plan for what we do in our meetings and to prepare leaders also, get our leaders ready to go as well. To a few individuals, how many people do you have in a D group? It's, it's always, <laughs> again, a lot of my brothers and I disagree with this. Um, uh, there are things called tri uh, triplets, I think, something like that. Triads, yes, triads. Yeah, that, that, that's great. It's a leader and three, three people. Uh, that works incredibly well. There are people who do one-on-one. -on -one. And, and I had a woman say to me a couple of weeks ago, that, that's the only way to disciple is one-on-one. -on -one. And I said, it's a great way. It really is. There are two things, though, the research has shown. First of all, if you're going to take the time to go someplace, meet with someone, and get ready for the lesson. Why, why not do three rather than one? You know? And the other dynamic out of the latest research just came out a couple of months ago is that in a group of four or five women, um, the interaction between the people is a big part of the overall input uh, of the group. You know? And so if, you, if you're in a group right now, one-on-one, -on -one, hey, that, that, that's fine. Uh, it's very high quality. It really is. It's very, very good. But I think I would go for, for one, one with three or one with four, something like that, something in that ballpark. These people have been one to Christ. Someone says, does this work with non-Christians? You know, if, if we did this, you know, if you can find four non-Christian women who will meet with you, absolutely. I mean, what an incredible way to lead them to Christ and, and men as well, uh, for sure. But, um, uh, 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 but I, I would say normally... In terms of re reproducing, the literature says when you're ready to choose a group, try to find people who are the farthest along you know, who, who are the most mature, 
so that after one year they are ready to go yeah, and, and to take a group uh, of their own. So try to find people who are the farthest along, especially as you're beginning. Two purposes, again, to help people grow in their spiritual lives, and secondly, to, to teach them to reproduce. So in a covenant that I, I could give you in our session number four today, a covenant we give to all of the guys as we're recruiting them, we say to them, um, let, let us tell you right up front that uh, you're going to be asked to lead a group as, as a possibility of being in this group. So we want you to know, begin as we begin, this is not, not a 10-month ten, ten ex exposure. This is for the rest of your life probably. You know. And so last year in recruiting, I talked to 15 men. Seven of them, seven of them said yes. The others said, you know, we love this idea. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to do this. One guy said, I'm building a new house. I just had a new baby. And I said, you know, I'll pick you up next year. Really, it's okay to, to go ahead and do what you need to do now. You know, but, but just the idea of, of helping people uh, figure out uh, exactly how long they would be in your group, uh, just having a good, a good handle on that. So the expectation is that if you, if you get into our group, that you'll spend a year, and then you'll go ahead under, under my guidance, you know, as kind of the shepherd of our discipling ministry, uh, you'll, you will go ahead and, uh, and have a group. And uh, so just letting them know that in advance. There's some information here also about other terms. Disciple, of course, the word disciple in Scripture is from the Greek word mathetes, which literally, literally just means a learner, a follower, or a new convert, something like that. It, it's, the mathetes is the student, an apprentice. Michael Wilkins has got a great, uh, great definition here. He says, a disciple is a learner or follower, someone committed to a significant master. So I'd like to make the point very quickly. We have a group of guys, Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. They meet at our church. They have coffee and donuts. This is like their seventh year of meeting. And they love it. You know, they're from all kinds of different types of jobs. And they just enjoy so much getting together for an hour and a half there before their kids get up and they start Saturday. And it's a great idea. I would thoroughly encourage them to keep that group going. That group is not a discipling group. Okay, it's a men's Bible study which is very good. Have as many of those as you can. But a discipling group always has this characteristic. There is, there is a woman, you know, who is farther along, who will take on three or four women and work with them as the leader, the initiator, and, and the guide and the teacher. Okay, so that's the one, the one big distinction. And please don't think that I would say, no, don't have those men's Bible study groups. If you've got those going, keep, keep them going for sure. Uh, here's an interesting point. Number three under letter B, disciple. A lexical definition of mathetes always implies the existence of a personal attachment to the leader. So there is a, an emotional connection that if you lead well, uh, will produce a love and affection for one another. It's, it's very important that, that you, uh, uh, let me mention today, a good leader creates culture. Okay. So when your grouping is meeting, as the leader, you will be the one who creates the culture of the group. So, first of all, I make sure we always have food. <laughs> food, food, food. In the Old and New Testament, fellowship is almost always had in the context of a meal. Isn't that interesting? You know, food is a social lubricant, you know. Really helps people get together and helps people relax. And so, just that whole idea. So I make sure we have refreshments. By the way, in the group I'm leading now, everybody, we take turns. And once every seven weeks, you bring the donuts. That's the bottom line. I've got a, I've got a Chick-fil-A carry-out, great big black bag. 
And in there I have a coffee maker, coffee, creamer, sugar, stir sticks, uh, all, all that stuff. And uh, I just carry that with me every morning. You go in, I make coffee before they get here. We have a couple of coffee snobs who would never drink the Folgers I make. I mean, they're oh, <laughs> got to be kidding me, you know. So they, they come in with their crafted cups that they made at home, you know, and, and that's fine. Uh, great, if you, if you need to do that, no problem with that. Uh, one of the first things I do in my group is I begin uh, establishing a, 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 an atmosphere of warmth, atmosphere of love, of caring. You know, I learned their names. I learned as much about them as I can. Um, uh, coffee's always ready when the first guy gets there. I stand back kind of informally by the door, and I touch every man who comes in. I touch every one of them. Just on the shoulder, a handshake. Uh, they'll hug me, you know. But I just want to make sure that they know this is a safe, loving, secure place, you know, here that, that we're cultivating. And I cultivate the culture of love. And as we grow and get trust among one another, I start talking about the band of brothers. You know, I see this in policemen, firemen, EMT people, military people as well, uh, football teams, uh, all kinds of different teams have this. It's where you really begin to develop a love and a commitment for one another. And I foster that idea among us so that at the end of our time together, our guys are saying, you know, I, I just uh, one guy said a couple of years ago, he said, I just want all of you to know uh, how you've changed my life. Never had a really close male friend all of my life. <laughs> And, uh, and this has been incredible. I just want you to know, I, 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 would take a, I would take a bullet for you, you know. And that's what you want to happen. Women do this a whole lot better than men. But I will tell you that being in heavy, in heavy men's ministry for the last 40 years, I will tell you that I, I know so many Christians, not even non-Christians, which I think would be worse, but so many Christian men who have many, many acquaintances but they don't have one really close personal friend that they could share their heart with. Not one, you know. And so, so these groups form groups of men. And I know, I know we're cooking when these, these three guys from our group go play golf together, you know. And, and when, I, when I go into Chick-fil-A and there are two of my guys there having lunch together, you know, I, I, know, that, I know we're making that happen. So, so that's kind of a, an overview of exactly what a mafe taste is. And then moving through the rest of these, these are pretty self-explanatory. But the idea of um, a discipler, someone who is the person who is in charge of discipling, and then, then the whole process, just some definitions that I hope will be helpful for you. A real quick historical overview. Uh, the concept of discipling really predates the birth of Jesus by several hundred years. In, in the record, we can get three or four hundred years before Jesus. They're doing this. In the Old Testament, we can see Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and Saul and David, Elijah and Elisha. So in the Old Testament, they were doing this for sure. In the Greco-Roman world, there was a definite relationship between the teacher and the learner. This, it was very pronounced and definite, uh, definite character, characteristics. Especially in the Roman world, number two there under sea, the, dis the disciplines of dancing, wrestling, music, astronomy, writing, hunting, or medicine are all documented to be taught this way. There is, there is a leader, and there are people that, uh, that he or she works with, uh, that kind of an idea. I want you to know these names, a little bit of education here uh, on this list. Pythagoras, you've heard, you've heard of his theorem, I sure, I'm sure, back in high school. Um, Socrates. Aristotle, Plato, Isocrates, Isocrates, Zeno, Cleanthes, uh, 
All of these are great sages in, in, in the history of the written, written re record who did, did uh, uh, do their work in discipling. And then this one about the Greek warrior Odysseus, you may have read this somewhere. Odysseus, the Greek warrior, went off to fight in the Trojan War, and he left his young son Telemachus in the care of a trusted guardian named Mentor. <laughs> there you go. Odysseus was gone 20 years. And when he returned, he found his son had grown to be a man, thanks to the wise tutelage of mentor's influence. So there's where that word comes from. You can see the new, in the New Testament, isn't this interesting? Jesus, John the Baptist, all the Pharisees and the rabbis, Paul, history, the, the disciples of the 12 disciples all did this very same thing. You know, we're all involved in, in this kind of an idea, and Scripture backs that up. So we've talked about, number three, Jesus' method of making disciples. You know, what method did he choose? What, what did he choose? He, he chose 12 men very carefully and just began working with them. And uh, then the rest of our time together is just fleshing out what Jesus did with the 12. What we want to do with each one of these items is talk about what did Jesus do and how do we do that here, here, now? How do we do it in the American culture in this particular day and time? So the very first thing is, is simply called selection. You know, Jesus is in a synagogue heals the hand of a withered man and on, a, on the Sabbath, totally embarrasses all the Pharisees there. You know, he, he, said, he, said, he said, son, come up here, just stick your hand out, Heal, healed his withered hand. And in, in the uh, Greek, I want you to, to really pick up on this. It says in verse 11, when Jesus healed the man, it says, and they were filled with rage. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were, and the word for rage there is the Greek word avios, which means a total, total uncontrollable rage and anger. They weren't just angry or upset. They were beside themselves. So Jesus sees this. He sees the response. And the very next thing he does is he takes that night, goes up onto the side of the mountain. He spends all night in prayer, comes down and chooses his 12 disciples. It's very significant that Jesus prayed dramatically before he chose the 12 people he was going to work with. So we see that Jesus was prompted possibly by that uh, for sure. So I would say and what we do is we, we bathe this in prayer. Every April, I start praying for six men for this coming September. And I say, God, what I want to do is this. I want, I want to have the guys in my group that you want to be in the group. You handpick the guys because they're going to be leading, really. So would you please pick the men and, and just bring them across my path? And uh, there'll be occasions when the Lord says to me, call, call this guy. Well, he lives in Cincinnati, Lord. Well, wh why would he cross the river? It's a huge barrier between our two states. Why would he cross the Ohio River to come to a D group? And the Lord says, call him, call him, you know. So I call him and I, I, I say, this is really a stretch, you know. It's um, 10 months, all but three weeks. Every week, driving here, 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning. And the guy says, I, I, I'd love to do it. Sign me up. I'm there, you know. And so just praying about it, asking for the Lord's guidance. Who do you look for? Uh, people need these three characteristics. They must be hungry, they must be faithful, and they must be available. Those three things. I, I keep trying to get one of the guys in our church. He's a fantastic guy, loaded with potential. He's an electrician. And he's working full time in one of the mega hospitals. For uh, he works for a company, and the hospital has just employed men in their company. They work there full time. He has for like the last thirteen years. He has to be at his job at five thirty in the morning. 
five days a week. So, you know, it's, and it's, and it's really hard to have, you can have a D group on Saturday morning, but it's tough to get, get that from, from guys, but that, the possibility. So is this woman hungry for spiritual? Does she want to go deeper? Is she faithful? You know, does she have a modicum of commitment that you can see? And is she available time-wise to do that? Howard Hendricks, uh, one of my mentors, has a great list of qualities here uh, that, that, I, that I put in this outline as well. So try to choose people who are the farthest along. And uh, in terms of um, recruiting them, uh, let me tell you, the recruitment process is very critical. The way you recruit people has a huge amount to do with the success of your group, the way you recruit them. So you don't, on a Sunday morning holler across the parking lot and say, hey, Bill, I'm starting a D group. You know, come over here. I'll, I'll give you a covenant and take it home and just think about it. You know, um, I meet with every single one of my guys personally over coffee or over lunch. And I give them a copy of the covenant. I say, here's what we're doing. Uh, we're starting these groups. And the whole purpose of the groups is to really dramatically have the Lord grow you spiritually. Get your roots down as deeply as possible. So uh, I, want, I want you to re- let's read through this covenant together. This is what I'm asking, and I want you to take it home and show it to your wife. And I want you to make sure she knows what we're doing, and I want you to pray about it. And then I'll call you four or five days from now, and you tell me if you would like to be a part of our group. And over and over again, guys will say, I don't need to do any of that. Sign me up. I'm in. Sign me up. And I say to them, well, I I want your wife to know what you're doing. This is really important, you know, having her support. And um, I just want you to pray about it. And they'll say, okay, I'll do, I'll do that, but just put me down now. I'm there. And that's always a very, very positive thing. So they get a copy of the commitment. And the commitment, the commitment is to read one or two chapters of scripture a day for the next 10 months. And if you can't do that or aren't willing to make that commitment, please, please don't take the spot that somebody else will, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, this, this has got a lot of starch in it and it's a high level of commitment and a high level of accountability also. For sure. You know, don't, don't come to our meetings not having done the reading we, we all committed to do. Guys read seven chapters. They have a, a study sheet and they answer two discovery questions. You know, uh, what did God, what was the main thing God told me in this chapter for me personally? What's the main thing I got? Secondly, how am I going to live that, this out in my life on a regular basis? How am I going to do this? Okay. And then when we meet, uh, I, I don't teach a Bible lesson. Guys have read, have read seven chapters of Scripture. They choose the report they wrote out on two of the seven chapters. And we go around the circle, and everybody gives their report on the two chapters they wanted to mention, what they got out of those chapters, and how they're going to be doing that over, over the, this next coming several weeks. And so I am the color coordinator leading the group. You know, I mean, I just make a comment every now and then. Guys are talking themselves. Y'all, this, this is why this method we're using is so powerful because it's transferable to lay people. That, that's the big hurdle we could not get over for years and years and years. We'd say to guys we discipled, okay, now we want you to teach the group. And they're saying, uh, you know, prof, we don't have, we don't have eight hours a week to write a lesson. And in this is the leader, and you do the organizing and the coordinating and maybe the coffee in the morning, uh, and then you, you just guide the discussion. Actually, what you'll find out is the Holy Spirit guides the discussion. He really does. And uh, I had a very good friend who's a massive academic, you know, massive, big, big time in theology and academics and so forth. Um, I just was describing to him what we're doing here, and he said, wait a minute, you are having guys... Just tell what they got out of reading a scripture. Um, do you think that that's really teaching? You know, 
He said, said, man, I, I, I would never use that. And I said, well, okay, that's all right. You know, everybody's got their own way. I said, but, but how about this? Will, will, will you tell me what you're doing then? I'd love to know what you're doing, you know, which would really be helpful. And he said, well, uh, I, I, he said, I actually don't have a D group at this point. But uh, I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe you'd like to think about that and <laughs> join the rest of us, you know. But, yeah, but you all, really, uh, that, that, that's the system we use, and it is a slam dunk. And I, I just wish I had an hour to tell the stories of a guy's wife comes to one of our leaders and says, my, my husband's in your group. And he said, yeah, he said, I know. And it was like this going into the fifth month. She said, he has been a good man for 22 years, been married 22 years. For 22 years, I have prayed that he would be the spiritual head of our home. And for 22 years, I have gotten the girls up. I'm the one who writes the tithe check. I'm the one who says, okay, everybody, you know, time to go to church. You get your clothes on. And, uh, and, and he is always just, I'm the, I pray over every meal. My husband never prays over a meal. And she said, in the fourth month of your group, my husband started taking the spiritual headship of our, of our family. And he gets, he, gets the, he gets the girls up now. And he prays over our meals. And he writes the tithe check. And she said, thank you, thank you to this guy. And, and he said to her, you know, I, I received your thanks. Let me just tell you, though, we, 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 as leaders, we've done nothing. You know, this is the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God every day in your husband's life, and it's transforming him, you know. Y'all, I'm just telling you, there is incredible power in exposing people to the Word of God on a regular basis, really, truly. So in terms of, um, uh, of, uh, of recruiting people, you give them the sheet, they, they, you know, they pray about it, and, and uh, really, out of the men that I invited, over half of them did say no. And it's really okay. If they say no, don't try to talk them into being in the group. Really, they're, they're telling you really where they are. I might want to do this, but I can't right now. But I keep their names on a list, and I circle back around the next year because they've already been in, introduced to the ideas. And I've picked up a bunch of guys through not closing the door or being frustrated over them saying no, just giving them time, giving them time to grow and to change and so forth. Works really well. So that's the idea about, um, about, um, uh, uh, about selection. Uh, let me also just mention this briefly. Um, about four years after I'd had a guy in a group, a very, very, we became very close friends. He, we were having lunch one day, and he said, I want to tell you something that I've never shared with you before. You know, when you came and asked me about being, a, being in a discipling group, and you described what we had to do, you know, reading Scripture every day and coming to a Christmas party and going on a retreat and all that stuff, he said, you know, I, I, I was floored by that. I really was. I was just so taken. He said, I've been... And I've been attending church for 35 years, and not one time in any church have I ever attended have they ever asked me for anything. And they were satisfied with me just showing up, putting a check in the plate. And he said, I have to tell you, you know, that when you, when you laid out this program full of starch, you know, and you wouldn't let me off the hook, and, and you were demanding that I, that I get, in, get in line and that I do the disciplines we're all going to make a commitment to. He said, I was intrigued by that. There's nobody had ever asked me for anything. And he, and he said, you know, your group changed my life. You know, he was leading a home Bible study at that point, and he was an F-16 pilot in the Navy, Delta pilot for 25 years. Most of those guys are stallions, you all, I'm telling you. You get a group with four, four of those guys in, and they're all high participators. They really are, you know, and one, it's a wonderful group. And to train and to work with, uh, really a lot of fun. So that's recruitment. Association is um, really not difficult at all. Jesus basically had 
had association nailed down. He really did. When you think about it, here's Jesus and the twelve. They are walking from Galilee to Judea multiple times in the three and a half years. You know, I, I, wrote, it, I wrote a tour bus from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, four and a half hours on a tour bus. So how long would it take Jesus and, and the disciples and his entourage to walk that? Just tons of free time, tons of time to talk, sitting around a campfire at night, you know, having coffee and some Sara Lee cheesecake together, you know, there <laughs> as you've been on the road all day and just talking and, and, and uh, exchanging ideas and laughing and so forth. I mean, Jesus had this nailed down. Here's the deal on association. You have to do things outside your formal meeting. You know, the more, the more time you spend with the people that you work with, the more they will grow, I promise, the more informal time. Here's what I found in our day and time. Here's the deal. My men will give me money before, they, before they'll give me time. You know, they are all high capacity. They're busy. Families, jobs, they play golf all the time. You know, just uh, busy, busy lives. And for me to be able to get, get time from them. But I found out that men are accessible. In my context, men are accessible for breakfast and lunch. Uh, they'll get up early anytime and meet me to have breakfast or have lunch. So I do that a lot. Also, after church, my wife, my wife cooked dinner for our family for 22 years, you know. And when our girls both left, um, I said to her, let's just do this. Let's not have you cook anymore. Uh, in some cases, it was cheaper to go to a restaurant, you know, than to... Uh, with a coupon, then then to, to even you know make dinner at home, uh, and so we're going to have lunch anyway. So I'll grab I'll grab one of my guys and his wife and two kids and say, hey, we're going to Wendy's, you know, just jump in with us here. We'll go and, and just have lunch together. I'm already going to have lunch. Why not just include them in that? I mean, if you work, you can find ways to get time with these people and work with them and, and develop them. I'll, I'll just tell you, Howard Howard Hendricks's. Uh, point is so crucial here. Hendrix says, you impress people from a distance, you impact them up close. And man, that's, that's just right on the money. You can go ahead and read down through the rest of these items here about developing, uh, developing an association with people. It's just this, the more time you can spend with your people, the more they will grow. That's the bottom line. Trying to find as much time with them as possible. The third item here is simply instruction. And here's the deal. Jesus taught on two levels. He taught formally and he taught informally. And I, I want you to think about this and, and mull this idea over. Jesus taught formally. Sermon on the Mount. Over and over again, the disciples went, went with him into the synagogue where he spoke that day. He would unroll the scroll and speak uh, from a place. So they heard many, many of his, of his lectures and, and his, his teaching and all. Uh, the latest research is telling us that Jesus spent 30% of his time with the crowd, 70% of his time with the twelve. Interesting, you know, pretty amazing. You know, so, so the idea of teaching, teaching as much as possible. In our context, people read Scripture every day, every single morning. Every morning I pray and say, God, is my men, your men that I'm working with, as uh, is, is they are reading their Scripture today, would you please have the Holy Spirit take Scripture and change their lives and feed them and nurture them and help them and encourage them you know, Holy Spirit, you, you, you have the power. You have the power. And so I'm asking you to do that. And you all, if you ask the Holy Spirit to do that, I promise you, He absolutely will do that without question. He, he truly will. The, the informal teaching aspect of Jesus' ministry is this, and it's very, very powerful. Jesus just looked for informal opportunities to teach. 
There were no lectures, you know, there were no tests, there were no textbooks to read. Uh, it was doing life together, and Jesus would see an opportunity, and man, he would just plow into that big time. Just think of the woman at the well, you know, a massive teaching opportunity for Jesus. <clears throat> On the way to Sychar, Jesus said to the disciples, um, stop here and let's get under the sycamore tree for just a moment, and I have a lecture I want you to hear today. The name of the lecture is Overcoming Barriers with the Gospel. First barrier I want you to overcome is the sexual barrier. So this is unusual for us, but I want you to start talking to women. And it's going to be a good idea. Secondly is the ethical barrier. So I want you to try to talk to women who possibly are, are immoral, maybe. That would be good. Thirdly, and just went through this whole litany of what Jesus did, and um, he could have done that. Peter, turn, turn on that PowerPoint. I want to just cover a couple of things here, you know. But, you know. But here's what Jesus did. He went into Sychar and sat on a well, and the disciples went to find lunch there in the city. And a woman comes up, and uh, Jesus just engages her in conversation. You all, that, that absolutely was not done. For a man to talk to a Samaritan woman, never. He says, hey, can you give me a drink? You know, And the whole thing unfolds. The disciples come back, and they see him talking to her intently. It's interesting that the gospel says, but no one asked him what he was doing. I think that's a pretty insightful thing there. Yeah, but you know, uh, Zacchaeus is another great example. You know, the Gadarene demoniac, one of the most heart-wrenching stories in the entire New Testament. Here's Jesus, you know, just really, and, and the disciples just watching all this. Just watching what Jesus is doing. He's teaching all the time. Let me just tell you that your greatest teaching tool in the informal times is your example. Your example. You know, what you're modeling. That, that, that's the PowerPoint that, that you're teaching for sure. After instruction, then we have demonstration. Jesus said, I'm teaching, I'm healing, I'm casting out demons, doing all these things. Just watch me. Watch me. You know? So he demonstrates for them, and we do the same thing. How, how, if you had four women that you were working with, ladies, how can you involve them in some way in what you're already doing in the church? Like, are, are you teaching junior church? You know? Well, why not have them begin helping you do that? You know? uh, I mean, just finding a way to involve them in some way and they watch you, they watch you do it and, and, and begin to pick up on what's going on, which leads us then to delegation. So after several, several months and maybe a couple of years, one day Jesus says to the twelve, everybody, gather around over here. Let's all break up into groups of two. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out through the villages and cities around here, and I want you to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Now, I'm making this up. This is not in the text. Meet me back here in two weeks. Under this tree, we're going to have, have a, a debrief. So two weeks later, the disciples come back. Jesus says, hey, how did it go? And they said, how did it go? It was incredible. We healed people. We cast out demons. The hardest of all spiritual activities, demon exorcism. We, we preached the gospel. It was fantastic. And he said, great. You know, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to go get into a boat. We're going to go on a retreat. Because I know you're really tired, so we're going to go on a retreat. And they really were supposed to go on a retreat, but when they got to the location, there was a huge crowd. And if you'll notice in the text, they, they never got the retreat. They, they just kept on working. Okay, what, two weeks later, several months later, within that context, Jesus gets 70 people together. He says, everybody, thank you for coming. Uh, I'm asking you to take a short-term mission trip. And I want you to go out into the villages, towns, cities around, preach the gospel, heal, heal the sick, cast out demons. Meet me back here in two weeks and we'll debrief. So the people go out, they do their mission trip, they come back. Jesus says, how did it go? Give me a report. They said, how did it go? It was incredible. 
we preached, we taught, we cast out demons. It was, it was amazing. Now, the only place in all of Scripture where it says that Jesus registers any kind of a positive emotional response comes at that juncture. We know that Jesus cried on a couple of occasions, but it never says Jesus laughed. Uh, I'm sure he did a lot being around Peter, you know, you have to admit that he had. Just hear, just, can't you hear Peter saying, you know, Lord, I heard a really great joke. I really did. A rabbi and a priest went into a bar and they, you know, and Jesus would, you know, just not laugh at that, you know. Yeah, I could I just hear Jesus, you know, laughing around the campfire at night. I mean, but the one positive place it says in all of the Gospels, <clears throat> Jesus had a positive emotional response. When he heard the report of the twelve, when they told him what they had done, Luke says, and Jesus rejoiced greatly in his spirit, you know, and said, Father, I thank you that you've hidden this from the wise. And these babes are getting it. They're figuring it out. The one place Jesus rejoiced was at hearing the report of the people he had trained. And here's the deal. They were getting it. They got it, you know, and he was rejoicing over that. That should just say so much to us, you all, really, about, uh, about this whole process. So that's the, the delegation. The supervision is just coaching, you all. It's just coaching. I can hear Jesus taking Peter aside, saying, Peter, that's a great message you preached last Friday night. Your introduction was just a little weak, though. Like you use a hook, you know, always, and you left that out. You know, can you hear Jesus coaching them, reminding them of the things to do and so forth? Uh, then uh, that's supervision. And then reproduction. And the whole idea between, about reproduction is simply this, you all. It's the idea that, that from the get-go, from the beginning, we say to our, our men and we say to our women, you know, one of the things that we're doing is that we want you to do what is being done to you. Okay? You know, the discipling, the loving, the teaching, the, 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 the uh, instruction, all of that. You are being disciples so that you will disciple others. I know you've heard it. 25 times since you've been here. Let me just make it 26. Uh, our goal is not to make disciples, you all. That's not our goal. Our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. Who can make disciples, who can make disciples, who can make disciples. You know, if, if I took one of you, just one of you, and spent two years with you, and then each of us took one person, and we spent two years together, and then each of that number took one person and spent two years, do you know how long it would take to win the entire world to Jesus Christ? Have any idea? Yeah, maybe just a tad more. Yeah. 47 years. We can win the entire world's population to Jesus Christ by using the method that Jesus has given us here. And right now, the independent Christian church and churches of Christ, we are one-seventh of one percent of the world's population right now. Surely we can do better, can't we? Do better than that, honestly. So that, that's just an overview. There's a thing here by Larry Richards from his book, Theology of Christian Education. This is so good. We're not going to take time to go through it right now. But Richards um, did research in terms of example, teaching, things like that. Came up with seven, seven key items that um, you do when you're influencing people through a discipling mechanism. Here are the things you need to keep in mind. And if you'll read over that, I know that will really be very beneficial and very helpful to you. So a couple of, a couple of special things here. Two steps forward and one step back. You know, you do your very best. You teach, you love, so forth. And sometimes somebody hits a pothole. And it's just a blip on the screen. It's not a sentence for the rest of their lives. It's something we help them work through and we keep moving on. Um, committing to this for the long haul 
you know, saying, you know what, I, I am there the first week with 100% intensity. And 10 months later, our last meeting, I will be there with 100% intensity. I really, I'll see this all the way through for sure, you know, without question. You're just kind of inching it out, working, doing whatever you can. Y'all, I have to share this with you. I'm, I'm so, you know, I, I want you to think that I really have it all together, you know. And uh, so I, I'm driving to our D group early one morning. And um, I'm, I'm just really frustrated. I'm just not really knowing if I, this is connecting, if, you know, if, if it's doing a whole lot of good. Having a little bit of a pity party there in my car. And uh, just said to the Lord, Lord, uh, just, you know, help, help me to know. I mean, is this really making a difference in anybody's life? So I get to the meeting. We start the meeting. I have like four guys in their 40s and 50s and two 20-year-olds. It's a really interesting group. Great, great thing to, to think about. And I say to the two 20-year-olds, y'all, as we begin, let's just open with prayer this morning. And, and Bill and Joe, will you just open, open us with prayer? And both of those guys prayed and said, God, we thank you so much for how this group is totally changing our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I get in the car, <laughs> drive back to my house. And about halfway back, the Lord spoke into my spirit and said, Dave, you remember your pity party <laughs> earlier, you know, complaining about you weren't seeing? He said, Dave, let me just tell you, if you take men into the Word of God and you're loving them and modeling for them and working with them, and you have asked me to have the Holy Spirit really touch their lives through the Word. Listen to me. Don't ever doubt that I'm going to be there. Don't ever doubt that I won't answer your prayer. You know, so, so just stay the course and do the best you can. You know. And you know, just a little bit of a personal testimony, you all. Uh, remember, this is not a crockpot. Ex- this is not a microwave experience. It's crockpot for sure. You can, as you build trust, move into men's lives, into women's lives, and just encourage them. You know, uh, uh, brother, I see something. Uh, let, let me say something. I see something happening in your life. I just want to ask you about it and tell me about it. Don't be afraid to do some correction. And then also, if you have somebody in your group that crashes, drops out of your group, and is not even in church now, d- don't take it personally. You know, yeah, I mean, Jesus had his Judas, you know. Je- Jesus, the king of the universe, was 11 for 12. Okay, so don't feel too badly about that. Paul and Demas as well, you know. So, so just keep working hard and leave the results to God. Uh, that'll be good. And they, I, I, and they can come back. Yeah, they yes, can come back later. That's right, brother. Yes, yeah. Don't give up on them. Very good point. At the very end of class, I have these uh, five books here. These are the, without question, the five best books I've read on discipling. I, I can give you a bibliography with 500 entries, you know. But I've often asked myself, what, what, what good is that really doing? I mean, drinking out of a fire hose like that. If you want five incredible references. Yeah, let, let, let me just mention them, them briefly. Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism. Be sure that you do that. Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism. Greg Ogden's book. Greg Ogden, Transforming Discipleship. It's just, man, just best, the best of the best. So good. Robbie Gallaty. Uh, G-A-L-L-A-T-Y. Robbie Gallaty, down in Nashville, has a book called Growing Up. Growing up, yeah, it's really, really good. Very good. Uh, Randy Pope. Randy Pope has a book called Insourcing. Insourcing, not outsourcing, insourcing. He uh, started the Perimeter Church in Atlanta like 40 years ago and built the church on the discipling model. And, you know, at 22,000 
you know, with eight multi-sites, they decided to go ahead and send the multi-sites, let them go on their own. And uh, just amazing. I, I was with him. I said, Randy, what's the average giving in your church per capita? Right now, it's about $30, $30 and some change. He said it's $76 for a week for every man, woman, and child. And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think you understood the question. You know, I was asking, you know, the, and he said, no, I understood your question. But if you disciple for people for 30 years, that, that, that's, that's what you'll get. They all understand their responsibility uh, spiritually uh, to give to the Lord. Uh, let me just mention also A.B. Bruce. A.B. Bruce, the training of the Twelve. A.B. Bruce, the training of the Twelve. Just very, very classic, uh, the classic uh, text I'd love for you to be aware of. Well, thanks so much for being here. I love your attention and your, um, in, uh, your uh, 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 concern. Yeah, it's my pleasure, really. Have a, have a great rest of the day also. All right, I hope that you enjoyed that episode from David and TCM International. Up next, we've got more from David. He's going to be talking about how to motivate and enable laymen and women to lead effective discipling groups and ministries all by themselves. Hey, Nashvillians, we have a Nashville City Tour kicking off October 27th and 28th. If you would head over to discipleship.org, you can buy your tickets now. You're not going to want to miss this event happening down in Franklin. So make sure you go there and check that out and buy those tickets. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.